You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We read together this morning from Luke chapter 2, the verses 1 through 20, and our text will be the verses 8 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we read in Luke 2 verse 19, that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. All these things are what comes before, probably especially what we have in our text this morning. So what? What did Mary ponder? What did she consider? What did she treasure? She treasured the heavenly gospel. She treasured the good news that was brought from heaven to earth. And so this morning, we will consider that heavenly gospel. We'll consider how it came from heaven, how it arrived on earth, and how it is or was and is and is to be praised everywhere. Somewhere, 
Outside Bethlehem, a certain group of shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to them. An angel of the Lord. Now what is an angel? Angel, quite simply, the word angel means messenger. An angel is a messenger, and that's precisely what this angel was and what this angel did. Angels are messengers from heaven. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. So when this angel comes, he comes as a messenger from God, bringing a heavenly message. Angels, though, are are more than just messengers. You might call them emissaries, official representatives. That is, an angel doesn't come as, as the mailman might come, simply with a message. No, when an angel shows up, the angel comes with the authority, with the power of the one who sent him. The angel comes with the authority and power of God, the authority of heaven. They come with authority, with official clout. That's why when this angel appears to those shepherds, we read that they were terrified. They were terrified. Now, why would the angel's presence fill those shepherds with fear? Well, if you think about it, you can understand it. The presence of a, a messenger or, or an emissary, a representative of someone who is very powerful, might not immediately fill you with a sense of joy. It might fill you with a sense of dread. So suppose, for any one of you, what your reaction might be if you are sitting there one quiet evening keeping watch over your television by night, and a government official showed up at the door on your doorstep and said, hello, I'm here on behalf of the government of Canada. Maybe not even that grand. Maybe just, I'm here representing the township of Langley. What would your first reaction be? Mine would be, oh no, what did I do wrong? Was I cutting down a tree illegally in my backyard? Did I do something wrong on my taxes? Why is this person here? So, we can begin to understand the shepherd's reaction. But there was more to this angel's announcement that filled those shepherds with fear. Because we read in verse chapter, in in chapter 2 verse 9, that when the angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord. And now again, perhaps you're not used to thinking of this as something that would strike someone with fear. I know for myself, when I think, you know, the immediate reaction I have of the glory of the Lord is that it's, it's, it's something warm and soft. It's a soft light that lets off a warm glow that, that slightly raises the temperature of everything around it. 
That's kind of what I have in my mind's eye. Perhaps you have that, that same sense of the glory of the Lord. But if you were to look in the Old Testament and consider the times when the glory of the Lord appeared, you would see that it's not this soft, warm glow that emits a little bit of heat. But often, the arrival of God's glory is terrifying. It's terrifying. And on many occasions, it in fact means judgment for God's people. You can think of Numbers chapter 16. Where the glory of the Lord appeared. And Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, those who were rebelling, leading a rebellion against Moses and against God, were judged, where the earth opened up and swallowed them alive. Such was the arrival of the glory of the Lord. Or you can think of Ezekiel chapter 8, where the glory of the Lord arrives to announce judgment on those who were worshipping not him, but the Son in his own temple. So when you learn that the shepherds were terrified as this emissary from heaven arrived and the glory of the Lord shone around them, you can understand where that sense of fear came from. And these shepherds would have had every, would have had every reason for fear, wouldn't they? This heavenly emissary is not just a, a bureaucrat. He's not some legal represent, representative of the government, some earthly government, no matter how powerful it may be. This is an angel of the most high and most holy God. Of God himself, Yahweh, the everlasting God. The God who dwells in perfect righteousness and holiness. The God for whom sin cannot stand in his presence without being consumed. When we stand on our own in the presence of God, our question wouldn't really be, what have I done wrong? Our question would be, what have I done right? The glory of the Lord burns in the face of our our sins and of our sinfulness. Of our weakness, lowliness. When Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord in his temple and of the angels surrounding him, his reaction was, woe am I, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. When you're in the presence of the beauty and the glory of the Lord, then you recognize immediately your own sinfulness. Smallness. So the angels were terrified. But the angel interrupts their fear. He interrupts their terror. He doesn't let it go any further. And he says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He's not bringing a message of judgment from heaven. He's not coming to condemn them in their sins. He's bringing good news. He has come to announce a message Of joy for all people. So what is this message? This news of great and wondrous joy for all of Israel? Well, this good news is a message. It's a declaration. It's information. Although incredibly significant information. It's a message about a person. 
The angel says today in the town of David. Today in the town of David. Now, the angel isn't just wanting to put a pin on the map for the shepherds so that they know where this has happened. But he is, he's recalling the significance of David and his house by mentioning the town of David. And what is the significance that this child that is being born is from the town of David? Well, it's this. It's that he's the Christ. He is the Christ. The anointed one. That's what the word Christ means. Now, many themes from the Old Testament and from God's redemptive plan come together in that single title of Christ. In the Old Testament, prophets and priests and kings were all anointed. They were all anointed and that showed their their special task and purpose before God and for the sake of his people. And so this child, as he comes not as a Christ, but as the Christ, comes as the great prophet and the great priest and the great king. And it's especially this last theme that that we hear the most of in God's word. This theme of the great king, the great son of David. The Psalms frequently speak about David himself as the anointed one. But even in those Psalms, we get a sense that this anointed one is one who's, who's not David, but, but a greater son of David, as the Lord had promised to David. We sung about that in Psalm 132. And also in the prophecies of Daniel, we are introduced to this anointed one. The coming of the anointed one, the great son of David, was the hope of Israel. It was the hope in the face of their own sinfulness. It was their hope in the face of their exile. It was their hope in the face of foreign domination and oppression. It was their hope in the face of sickness and weakness, of poverty. It was their hope in all things. As they pined away, even at this time, under foreign oppression and religious confusion, The faithful longed for the coming Messiah, the anointed one, the one whom God had promised to his people, the Christ. But he is not only the Christ, he is also the Lord, the Lord. Now, just as many things come together in that word Christ, so many different, there are many different aspects or facets to that name Lord. Lord can, on the one hand, simply mean master. But is that what it means here? Notice how the Holy Spirit has revealed this announcement to us. Notice how in verse 9, we read that an angel of the Lord... So an angel from the Lord comes to earth and the glory of the Lord shines around. And then the the angel announces that the child that is born is Christ, the Lord. There's no distinction between the Lord and the glory and the child. Because this child is not simply 
a human master. This child is the eternal God. He is not just the Lord. He is Yahweh. He is the everlasting God. He is the Lord. And he is a savior. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. A savior, as Matthew puts it simply, concisely, who will save his people from their sins. Save his people from their sins. But this is not just a message for the people of Bethlehem or the people of Judea or the people even of Israel. No, this is good news for all people. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The only savior of all men has now been born. The only savior who is both Lord Eternal God and man, human flesh, has been born. The only one who can mediate between the glory of heaven and the sin of earth has been born. The only Savior who is powerful and perfect in every way has been born. He's the creator of the cosmos. And now he has become like one of us. He is our brother. This is so incredible as to be unbelievable. And this is common with angelic announcements. Angels often, throughout God's word, announce a, a great message, and those who hear often do not believe. They're so out of this world with their heavenly glory that this world has a hard time swallowing them. But the angel doesn't allow the unbelief to steal the moment. There's no unbelief that's going to creep in and steal the spotlight. And so he gives a sign, a confirmation of the good news that he's just announced. And what is this confirmation? What is the confirmation? This is the sign that the God-man, that God himself has become incarnate, that the only savior of the people of the world, that all the people of the world has been born. He says, you will find a baby. Okay. And he'll be wrapped in swaddling cloths. Okay. And he'll be laying in a manger. In a feeding trough for the sheep. The contrast nearly rips the page of our Bible right in half. The glory of the Lord is shining around. An emissary comes from heaven to make this great announcement of salvation for all people. He comes directly from the throne of God with his own power and authority. And he announces that the Christ, the Lord, the incarnate son of God, who is from all eternity, is lying in a nearby sheep pen. It's not the way we would do it, is it? We would write this script differently, wouldn't we? But this is not a script that has been written by men. This is a script that was written by God. 
It was written before the creation of the world. This is a heavenly script. This message and its fulfillment is out of this world. And this is not the last surprise that this heavenly gospel is going to bring to this dark earth. In fact, the way that God will bring about the salvation of his people will leave many confounded, incredulous, and dumbfounded. That this child would not only be born and laid in a manger, but that he would suffer and die on a cross. That that is how God would bring about the salvation of his people. It's so difficult to comprehend. It's it's preposterous. But it's also profound, isn't it? It was necessary that heaven's son would come to earth. That the light would invade the darkness so that he could save this earth. This earth was one that was made perfect. But that had been cursed. Because of the fall into sin of Adam and Eve. This was an earth that needed an earthly savior. And what is more earthly than being wrapped in swaddling cloths just like every other baby that's been born? What's more earthy than the smells that surround the feeding trough inside a stable outside Bethlehem? Truly. God has made his dwelling among us. Certainly, this account of the incarnation of God's Son into human flesh is too much for many. It's the kind of story that needs to be denied or explained away or covered over in a nice fluffy cushion of sentimentality. Or, it must be believed. If you have eyes only for the things of this world and the things herein, then you won't see it. But for those who have the eyes to see, this is a decisive moment. And so it is that upon the announcement of Christ's birth, a whole crowd of what Luke describes as the heavenlies, Beings from heaven, angels and and other hosts of heaven reply to the angel's announcement and they declare glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Glory to God. Yes, glory to God. This is a plan of salvation that has been forged by God in eternity. This is a plan foretold by God himself to his people. And now this is a plan that has been fulfilled by God himself. And through this child laying there in a manger, it will be accomplished by God. As this child grows up to give his life as a ransom and as an atoning sacrifice for many. So yes, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. And peace to men upon whom his favor 
peace to men upon whom his tender mercy, his magnanimous grace, his particular love rests. This is a savior who will bring true peace to men. He will give men eternal peace with God. And it's true, as many have pointed out, that this passage does speak about the sovereign plan of God. This is peace not for all men. In the end, not all men will experience this peace. This is a peace for those upon whom God's favor rests. This is the the plan of salvation of God. God is the one who determines and who effectively calls those who are his. But yet, the emphasis here is upon the expression of peace and favor. The emphasis is upon the, the peace to men. And the kindness of mercy of, and kindness and mercy of God, His grace to a people who walk in the darkness of ignorance and sin and rebellion. God does not show only His judgment, but He also shows His grace, His favor. This, brothers and sisters, is good news. This is the good news that the angels announced. This is the gospel that the Savior, the Christ named Jesus, has come into the world. The world rejected him, by and large. But those who believe in him, he declares to be children of God. And this is what the angels announce and all the heavenly host to those shepherds. And do these shepherds understand all this as they go on their way? Probably not. Can they fully understand God's plan? No. But they know enough to go on their way rejoicing and to share this wonderful news to all who hear it. That's what you do when you hear wonderful news. You go and you rejoice in that news and you share it with others. Those shepherds, lowly and not very much respected field hands, become the first earthly evangelists. The angels are the first ones. They announce it from heaven. And those shepherds become the first ones to announce this gospel on earth. Do they set the world on fire with their message? No. Do they drop everything to become shepherds of men? No, they don't. No, what they do after they've seen this confirmation of the sign is they return home. They go back to the flocks that need their care. They go back and they live their lives. But they live lives that will no doubt be forever changed by the gospel that they heard and that they declared. And we end with Mary. What's Mary's reaction to all this? Well, we know what her reaction was in chapter one, her beautiful reaction in the song of Mary as she glorifies the Lord. And now Luke records for us, she treasured 
all these things in her heart. The word has that sense of, of guarding, of protecting, something that's very precious. Treasured is a very good word, very good translation. She, she's guarding these things. She doesn't want to lose anything. She wants to keep it all. She, she wants to, she wants to, she realizes the importance of, of all that's happened. And Luke says she pondered these things. She meditated on them. She mulled them over. Her reaction, in fact, is quite different than that of the shepherds, isn't it? The shepherds, they hear this news. They, they rush over to see the baby. They rush back all in the space of a few verses. But Mary, she sits. She contemplates. She considers. She reflects. We live in a world that's a lot more like the shepherds than like Mary. We live in a fast-paced world. We're running here and there. Things are hectic. Things can be crazy. Things are often busy. You know that experience that you've probably had when you're running around, you've got lots of things to do, you've got your to-do list, you're running down it, and you, you, you meet someone who's not like that. They're the reflective type. They sit and they ponder, they consider. They ask you difficult questions. They give slow and careful and deliberate answers. What happens to us when, when we come across people like that? It makes us slow down, doesn't it? It makes us consider. It makes us stop to ponder along with them. The Spirit calls us to treasure up all these things and to ponder them in our hearts. To think deeply about the significance of what happened when the Son of God was made flesh. The birth of this boy in Bethlehem has changed the world. He came to redeem his people from their sins, from their curse, from their eternal judgment and condemnation. He came for the glory of God. He came to bring peace, to bring peace. For those upon whom God's favor, his tender mercy, his magnanimous grace, and his particular love rests. Consider what he has done. Treasure these things in your heart. Mull them over. Ponder them. And praise God for the gift of his son. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.